It's that time of year draft season, so that means that we have to take an in-depth look at all the key prospects that are coming into the 2019 selection process. Once again, unfortunately or fortunately, kind of cuts both ways, the Jets pick third in the draft, which means that they should get an impact player at that spot. They could also trade down. You would hope they would get impact players if they do that as well. There are a lot of different ways to look at these prospects. You can look at them through stats. You can look at them through film. But you can also analyze the data in a really complex way. And that's what my guest specializes in. He's the only one that puts out a draft guide that really dives into the data. And I like to talk to him about this stuff. He's been on a bunch of times, and I'm glad to have him back to break down the top prospects in the 2019 draft and maybe even give us some sleepers here and there at certain positions. Mr. Jim Coburn, what's going on, Jim? Uh, Nothing much. Uh, Thanks for having me back again. It's always, this is probably like the I wouldn't say Christmas Eve or anything, but it's it's definitely like December. You're starting to hear the jingles and stuff uh, before the draft actually gets here. So it's always, you know, exciting time. It's a wonderful life is on NBC and we're getting ready for the presents. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what this time of year. And if you're a Jets fan, Jim, you know, unfortunately, the last few years, as much as it's nice to pick at the top of the draft, <laughs> the Jets have picked at the top of the draft far too often, which indicates that they're not doing well on the field, and this is no exception. This year, they actually pick higher than they have in the previous years, so there's potential for them to get a real impact player in that spot. They may also trade down, so we'll get into a bunch of prospects. But before we delve into the top players in the draft and really get your data-centric look at them. I know I have you do this every time you're on, but just in case it's the first time somebody's listening to you or they forgot the criteria, can you go through the criteria for the data so people understand what you're describing when you talk about these players? Sure. Well, a lot of my data really boils down to, to three main three main categories when it comes to data because it can get more complicated, but I really don't want to make it more complicated. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's easy math, guys. Like, Market share data is like a term that I throw out a lot and people go, market share data, what the heck is that? What is this sorcery? All I'm doing is taking one stat and dividing it by the team stat. That's it. So if a guy had 10 sacks on the team and the team and the team overall had 40 sacks, then that's 25%. You know, 10 divided by 40. I mean, it's simple math. I mean, it's something that you're, I wouldn't say two-year-old, but I don't know. Some two-year-olds are pretty smart now. But, you know, like it's something that, most people can get but the three main is really production metrics you know, it's basically looking at how these guys produced in college and it's not just raw stats it's looking at the percentage of the offense or the percentage of the defense that they made up uh, so if we're talking about edge rushers we're talking about their sack percentage their solo tackle percentage which honestly as we kind of talked about before the show even began solo tackle is just giving you a good idea of how active they are away from the line of scrimmage. You know, if a guy is getting, if a guy has a high solo tackle score, that means that he's someone who is making plays away from the line of scrimmage. He's making plays 20 yards down the field, 10 yards down the field. You know, basically it's like kind of like a hustle metric to a certain extent, but um, also just a general football IQ metric. Uh, And then of course, when it comes to the age metrics, the, the basic thing with age and I know I get a lot of flack about it, is that if a guy is old as a prospect entering the draft, it doesn't mean that he's not going to be an NFL player or a good NFL player. It's just that the majority of the elite NFL players, the players that you make a poster of or you put in a canton, were typically 
younger players coming into the draft. In fact, the vast majority of them were younger compared to their peers. So, uh, again, just because a guy – this happened with Calvin Ridley last year. Everybody's like, oh, he's old. He's not going to be a good NFL player. It really has nothing to do with that. It's just the chances of Calvin really becoming a Hall of Fame player are a lot less likely than just being a good NFL starter. That's basically what age data sort of comes down to. And then the last uh, sort of data point I really focus on is athleticism data. It's something that most people, depending on who you talk to, it's it's probably the most embraced metric out of all of them because, you know, people watch the combine, they pay attention to it. They pay attention to the three cone. They pay attention to the, you know, like the, the 10 yard split, you know, people make a big emphasis on those types of metrics. Uh, it's, it's like the most embraced metric, if you will, except at certain positions, which I think it should be more accepted, like offensive line and stuff like that. Because I do know there's a lot of offensive line coaches that just hate the combine and think it's stupid. You know, how often do offensive linemen run 40 yards in an actual game and all these other sort of stuff. But if you actually look at the trends, again, on, at the facts, it's, it's a different story. Most of the time, if you're going to be a starting NFL offensive lineman, the vast majority of them are above average athletes. They don't have to be great athletes, but they do need to at least be above average. Uh, but, yeah, that's like a general overview. You know, a lot of my data, it focuses on each position. I compare what they did. Like, I compare their production to what their other positional peers did, compare their athleticism to what their other positional peers did. So, basically, I'm comparing running back athleticism to other running backs and, and go from there. And a lot of my production data – just to kind of throw it out there, a lot of it is based on lots and lots of data. I'm, I'm pretty much have the, the most vast uh, amount of production data. Some of my data goes back all the way to 1956 when it comes to quarterback statistics. So, you know, it, it goes back a while, and that's only because I'm trying to see if the trends that happened back there happen today and if they continue to happen. Like if the same statistical trends happened in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, so on and so forth then those statistics, those trends, if you will, are probably going to continue on into the aughts, if you will. So, and, and that's the other sort of thing I'll just get out there is that a lot of what I'm basing on, a lot of my points about production data is, is only there because it's significant. It's significant to talk about this stuff when it comes to trying to predict the draft. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
Jim, do you think it's fair to say that essentially what your data does is identify trends and essentially tell people what an outlier would be in each group? So the data may not necessarily tell you for sure whether or not a player is going to be good, but it definitely tells you the odds of that player being good. So like you said, if a guy is older, the odds go down. If a player is a below-average athlete, the odds go down, so on and so forth, so that you look at this and realize, okay, this player may break the trend, this player may be an outlier, but do you want to bet on an outlier? Exactly, because the biggest thing I think people need to understand about the draft is when it comes to just hitting on the draft, like hitting on a player in the draft, only 10% of every draft pick reaches 64 starts or more in their career every year, only 10%. So you have better odds of playing the craps table than playing the draft table. You really do. Like it's, it's really, really hard to predict things um, at the draft level, you know, but I would say what the data really does is it just gives you a perspective of, okay, which player, because again, as I tell most people, like you shouldn't look at data. Like if a guy has the highest production score, that doesn't mean that he's the best player in the draft. It just means that he is someone who has a better chance and you need to watch the film to, to it basically narrows the list down. So like data in general is something where it's easy to find the losers, but in terms of finding the winners, that's where you're going to have to get into film. That's where you're going to have to get into those other sort of processes. So data is not a supplement for film, but it's something that enhances the film because you're able to narrow down the list of players that have the best odds of becoming successful and then you just let your film evaluations take the, the reins after that. It's like last year in particular, you know, Royce Freeman was someone that his production data was better than Saquon Barkley. But I never had Royce Freeman over Saquon Barkley in my personal rankings because film-wise, I just like Saquon Barkley a lot better than Royce Freeman. And again, it, that's a similar situation. You know, Just because a guy has a higher production score doesn't mean they're better. That's just a situation where you have to let the film decide who is the better running back or the better quarterback or the better you know, whatever, whether it's cornerback, defensive safety, all those types of things. So really what you're saying is that the data can help you, but it can't be the only thing you look at. Absolutely. Because uh, that, that's a common criticism. You know, people say just watch the tape and stuff like that. And again, I don't understand why you can't just watch the data and then watch the tape too. Like it's, it's, it's something that's only going to help you. It's not going to hurt you. And a lot of times when we get into these sort of battles where I, I there's all these Every year we have prospects that the film guys don't like, but then they test really well as an athlete and they do all these other sort of things. And then they go, well, let's just see it with the film guys. They'll be watching the guy and then they'll, they'll start to go, well, his film wasn't great, but he has that athletic upside or whatever. But if you actually look at the data, you can kind of spot, well, no, you need to stick to what your original opinion was <laughs> because, yeah, he may be a great athlete, but if he doesn't have the production to match, then it's, it's questionable. It's like Robert Kandice. You know, Robert Kandice in that particular draft, was someone that was incredibly unproductive, was a great athlete. And film guys were just sort of like, yeah, his film isn't really that great, but you know, he has all this athletic upside. But again, you just said it, his film wasn't that great. So what are we doing here? You know, and again, that's the perspective is that you really need to be looking at every piece of information when it comes to predicting the draft, just because of how, again, as I told you before, just how volatile it is when only 10% of those guys end up becoming 64 start or more type players you need to have every information possible to make the best decision. And that's all data really does is it just gives you extra information that can help you to make a decision on who is going to be that guy who breaks out.
who's going to be that guy that, that becomes that 10 percenter, if you will. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So, Jim, with that in mind, let's get into the top prospects in this draft, and we will start with a guy that you're not that high on based on your data, based on everything you've looked at with the film, and that's Nick Bosa, the younger brother of LA Chargers edge rusher Joey Bosa. They both went to Ohio State. Nick Bosa being talked up by a lot of people as the best player in the 2019 draft, but that's not what you think, is it? Well, because his, his production data is just not that uh, great. Uh, for just, just mentioning his production data, I'll get into the nuances of it, but you know, he had, he had about a uh, 16.65 solo tackle score, a 44.93 sack score, and a 51.81 tackle for loss score. Most of the time, as a general rule, you want edge rushers to be above average in all those categories. And he's below average in two and kind of his average in the last one. And it's not to say that his, his film is terrible. It's not to say that he's not a talented football player, but this is someone who is not Joey Bosa because one Joey Bosa actually had a really, really productive season at Ohio state didn't have to be stuck in a rotation because I know a lot of people say, well, Nick Bosa wasn't that productive because he was in this crazy rotation. They had all these great, you know, edge rushers at Ohio state and he just couldn't rise above all those guys, if you will. But when you think about the edge rushers they had there, I mean, they were okay. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad, but, I mean, it's not like they're tearing up the NFL, like they're, they're top 10 overall edge rushers. It's not like he had Joey Bosa in front of him or Miles Garrett in front of him. You know, he just had kind of average guys and he just was in a rotation. And then the final year that he actually gets to prove I'm the guy, I'm the boss, he is out early because of an injury. And this is also a guy that back in high school had a, you know, torn ACL. So, you know, it's, and I'm not saying he's injury prone in terms of just being injured all the time. But it's just something where, again, if, if a guy is, is this, it lacks this much production, and you look at the injury history and the fact that he couldn't even finish an entire season being the main guy, how is he going to do that? How is he, I mean, how is he going to do that in the NFL? If he's someone that hasn't really been able to be the main guy in high school, goes to Ohio State, hasn't really been able to be the main guy there either, and when most great edge rushers, in fact, all of them really, were the guys at their schools at least one season, then how is he going to live up to that expectation of being like the best all around edge in the class? So that's just my main sort of criticism with, with, with Nick Bosa is that I just think when you look at the production data, you look at everything else like that, it just doesn't scream number one overall prospect. You know, if you want to take a, 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 a thing, I mean, his, his data really lines up more, with guys like Barkevius Mingo, uh, Vic Beasley, uh, trying to get through, trying to think of a couple other different edge rushers that kind of have a similar data pattern to this. But uh, D Ford, for example, I mean, D Ford is, is very kind of similar type of production profile, if you will. 
uh, who had you know good athleticism traits. And D Ford is not a bad NFL player. I'm not saying Nick Bosa is going to end up being a bust. But what I am saying is, is that if you think this is the next best edge rusher in the NFL or someone who's going to consistently give you 10 sacks, 10 plus sacks a year for 10 straight years, I just statistically, just based on the data, I just don't think that's very likely based on his overall data profile. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So the common perception is that Nick profiles very closely to his brother Joey, but you don't think that at all, huh? Well, because Joey Bosa had one season where he was 80 percentile in solo tackle data, 80 plus percentile in sack data, and 80 plus percentile in TFL data. The only similarity between Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa is that athletically speaking, they're very similar. I will say that much. I mean, uh, Joey is, is more agile than him, though. You know, he had better short shuttle and three count overall um, than Nick. Uh, they pretty much ran the same type of 40. So they pretty much have the same type of speed. So like athletically, they're similar. They obviously share a name and a mother and a father, but production wise, <laughs> but production wise, there's no similarity there. Like the, their production is just, I mean, the thing about Joey Bosa, is he's someone who came in as a freshman was great, came in as a sophomore and dominated like dominated in terms of, you know, pretty much was at a, like a Miles Garrett level uh, in terms of his, you know, production at Ohio State. And then had an injured kind of filled year for his last season and then kind of fell off with Nick Bosa. And of course got drafted and was good. You know, Joey Bosa is a good NFL player. But Nick Bosa, he's someone who came in, was a rotational player mostly. Then he finally gets to be the guy and can't even finish the season as a starter because of injury. So that is a red flag. You know, I mean, it, now if you don't think that that's the case, if you watch his film and you watch all of, all five or six of his games this year and go, those are the six best games I've ever seen against competition like Oregon State and these other programs, <laughs> then uh, the, the power, more power to you. But I just feel like he's someone who honestly is inexperienced because of la- a lack of playing games, you know, actual, you know, actual games on the field. Uh, on top of the injury stuff, so it's it's just uh, it's just a concern, you know. Like if you're going to take a guy top ten overall, where if you look at players who were taking the top ten with a similar sort of production profile and athleticism profile, you get guys like Barkevius Mingo as a comp. That's a little worrisome. I mean, I think most people would agree that that's a little worrisome to, to have that type of situation. So you think that the comparisons with Nick and Joey Bosa are mostly done on the basis of the fact that, as you said, and this is a scoop that some reporters don't have yet, they have the same mother and father? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm surprised that he tested it so similar as an athlete, but yeah, that's, I think most of the comparisons for Nick and Joey is just that, because you know, Joey actually had a dominant season. You know, like he actually had one. And that's the big thing about my data is when it comes to edge rushers, they need to have at least one year where they were, you know, one of the best at their position at at the college level. 
Um, it's not to say that every player that is the best at their position at the college level as an edge rusher is going to be a great NFL player, but all the great ones had that one year, you know, if that makes any sense. So it's and Nick Bosa just never had that. He just never it just didn't. And the, in the time it was actually going to start to happen, uh, has the core injury and then that's it as far as, you know, as far as the season. So, um, you know, I'm not saying he should have played through it, but uh, I'm just saying that it's, it just is what it is that he, he just seems a little injury prone with ACM and the core injury and all these other sort of stuff that, that's been happening. And it just hasn't really been able to match his, his, his production has not matched his hype. And there's usually guys like this every year, but he's probably the biggest in terms of just how high people are wanting to take him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. There's a general perception that if Nick Bosa were to slide to number three and the New York Jets, that it would be Mike McCagney, the general manager, getting lucky again with the best player falling right into his lap at a position that he very badly needs. But it sounds like you think there would be far better options at number three, even if Bosa is available. Well, yeah. I mean, you got you're going to have guys like Ed Oliver there. Uh, you're going to have Josh Allen, uh, who, who's going to be there, uh, who has who is probably the most productive out of everyone this year in terms of just his overall production and has the athleticism to match. Uh, even a guy like Munch has sweat, and I know there's a lot of people that just don't like. I mean, not to say they don't like sweat, but he, but he's another guy who has better athleticism better size and length, better production, um, and is just sort of a freak. You know, again, much as sort of somebody who's six foot six, two 260 pounds, ran a 4-4-1, 40-yard dash, like, and I'm not trying to just throw out athleticism, I'm just saying, like, that's just a better athlete with better production. And even if you don't want to go that route, if you want to be more of a film guy, right, and that's, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be derogatory to film guys, I love you guys, but I would like you to look at data, too. Uh, Brian Burns from Florida State, better production um, and has a uh, very, very, you know, elite sort of athleticism traits. In fact, Brian Burns, honestly, profile is very similar to, uh, you know, a guy like DeMarcus Ware or in my general comparison for him was that he was sort of like a Randy Gregory. If Randy Gregory was actually good uh, or <laughs> didn't have the, didn't have the sort of, you know, off the field issues, if that makes any sense. So, you know, you, all these edge rushers at that spot would have been better. Now, of course, I wouldn't take Sweat top three overall, but Brian Burns, I think there definitely is a conversation there. You know, for a guy like that, who just has proven to be productive, has great athleticism traits, and it's just, again, has that experience of, you know, of, of, of being able to, because the biggest thing about the NFL is it's a marathon. You know, it's not a one-game thing. It's 16 games, and then, of course, you had the playoffs. and you, Like, it's it's a marathon, and, and the guys that become really great players are the ones that can endure that marathon and still perform at a high level. Brian Burns has at least proven he can do a marathon and stay healthy and, and be productive. Nick Bosa hasn't done that in his entire career, whether that's in high school or college. You know? So it's, it's concerning. <laughs> you know, there's better options there. Jim, you've now broken down Nick Bosa and done so fairly extensively from a data perspective, and it's clear that you think there are better options at number three if the Jets stay at that pick, and one of those options you identified was Josh Allen, the edge rusher out of Kentucky. Can you tell me why you prefer him to Bosa and explain what the data tells you about Josh Allen? Well, the biggest thing is Josh Allen has been productive, elite productive, 
for many, many seasons. I mean, the first time I actually took a notice of Josh Allen was in his freshman year, uh, where he was pretty darn close to leading the SEC in tackles, um, you know, in his first year. Uh, and people were just kind of like, I don't know, people because he played at Kentucky, people were just like, oh, yeah, Josh Allen, yeah, yeah. You know, like there just wasn't much excitement about him or care about him. Uh, it, I, I, it was just weird with him. But, you know, he's someone that just from a production uh, production perspective, you know, had 99 uh, percentile solo tackle data, 96 percentile sack data, and 92 percentile TFL data. And on top of that with, you know, uh, 87 speed, uh, 88 flexibility, you know, just in terms of his ability to maintain and balance, you know, when it comes to as an edge rusher. So, you know, he has very, very good, close to elite athleticism traits with elite production traits. And, you know, people want to talk about length. I mean, you know, it's pretty much similar, almost the same in terms of just general length and size. So, like, you're basically getting a guy that's more productive, uh, athletic, and, again, I, I don't really see – I mean, that's the thing. There, there are just better edge rushers than Nick Bosa. You know, I mean, Brian Burns, like I said, Brian Burns, Josh Allen, uh, Montez Sweat, all those guys just have better all-around traits on paper. And – Film-wise, although people do bring up Nick Bosa's film a lot, a lot of times he's going up against inferior competition where he's just kind of manhandling guys. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with manhandling guys, but you're not going to do that in the NFL consistently. You're not just going to be able to just, just blow past people all the time in the NFL because you know these are some of these guys are going to be better athletes. Some of these guys are going to be the best athletes you've ever seen in your entire life as an edge rusher. You're going to be at the NFL level. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, that, that's all I can really say is I just think Josh Allen and Brian Burns and all those guys are just better options in terms of production and athleticism and everything else. With the data on Josh Allen, this is a kid who is local if he were to come to the Jets because he's from Montclair, New Jersey. As you said, went to Kentucky, so it's kind of a little underwhelming. It's not like he went to Ohio State or Alabama or LSU. Kentucky's not known for pumping out superstar football players at the same rate as schools like that. Does your data indicate, though, that Allen was just as productive in high school as he was in college? Because if so, I would be curious why he wasn't offered scholarships to bigger places. Well, honestly, I haven't really... As far as edge rusher production at the high school level, uh, the only reason I mentioned with Nick Bosa is that he had the, he had the injury history, very well documented injury. I mean, if if your name is Bosa, people are going to pay attention to you a lot, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I can't really speak on Josh Allen's production as to why uh, the general high school recruiting in general is extremely flawed, and it's really based upon camps. And if you go to a camp and there's scouts that are at that camp and they see you at that camp uh, or you get buzz about you as a writer, then people get like the, the issue with high school recruiting in general to me is there's just so many play There's so many high schools, you know, that you have to monitor. And there's and a lot of the ways you get noticed is through camps and these other sort of things. And if you don't go to a camp, then you just don't get recruited. You know, um, unfortunately, uh, and that's why there's always like guys who kind of slip through the cracks or guys who end up at Kentucky or really great or, um, you know, so on and so forth is, is because of that issue. Um, and also the fact that it's just an imperfect process. So um, that's all I can really say 
uh, about that. Uh, all I would all I would kind of emphasize though is it really doesn't matter where you go to school because when it comes to endorsers in particular, um, since 1999, the most starters at the edge position have come out of Purdue. And, uh, I mean, it, it just had most like NFL starters, uh, have come from, you know, DeMarcus Ware, for example, is a guy who came from Troy, Alabama. That's a college he went to. So I, I know people pay attention to Ohio State and Alabama and all those other sort of big programs, but, um, there's no, no metric kind of says that, Hey, they have to go to this particular school. They just have to be productive. They have to be athletic, uh, and have to be a relatively young age. So it doesn't really matter where you do it. It's just if you are those three things that wherever you end up being at, you know, and Josh Allen was that. Jim, you gave us the comps data-wise for Nick Bosa, and you said that he projects to, if staying healthy, be a solid, decent starter, but not necessarily pro ball or all pro level. Does Josh Allen profile into that pro ball, all pro level, according to the data? And do you have any comps for him? Uh, sure. I would say when it comes to Josh Allen, the main uh, sort of uh, per, like maybe not production comp because his production is off the wall. I mean, I could just name off all these players that are really better than him. Um, but I would say the the biggest sort of comparison, athleticism wise, um, is uh, is is sort of like a Terrell Suggs ish type guy, but faster, um, if you will in terms of his sort of athleticism profile. So, like, production-wise, I mean, there's so many different players. I mean, Justin Houston and, um, you know, Von Miller's in there. Like, there's just so many different guys who just come up with, with his production. Because you know, his production is so great that he's he's not really the most productive player ever at the edge position, but he's definitely really high up there. But in terms of athleticism, you know, Terrell Suggs is definitely one of those guys who kind of shows up in the data with a guy like him as sort of a athleticism comparison. Jim, we talked about the two edge rushers that everybody seems to believe could go to the Jets at number three if they're available and if the Jets don't trade out of the spot. So now let's talk about the other player that's getting some buzz, and he's probably the most controversial of the three among Jet fans simply because of the position that he plays, and that is Quinnen Williams, the interior defensive lineman from Alabama. I would assume that your data is pretty high on him the same way that it was on Allen. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, Quinnen Williams, I mean, in terms of like the, the best interior edge, or not edge, but interior defensive lineman this year, uh, Ed Oliver is definitely that top guy right now um, overall. But the second best the guy where uh, they were almost neck and neck from a production standpoint um, was Queen and Williams. Now, Queen and Williams is pretty much not as productive as Ed Oliver, but pretty much in that same sort of ballpark. Played a much tougher competition as well because, you know, Ed Oliver, you know, played at Houston, didn't play at Alabama. It doesn't mean that Ed Oliver's production is bad. It's just that, you know, he played at Houston, didn't play at Alabama. And athleticism-wise, uh, Williams pretty much hits all the sort of marks you're looking for uh, in terms of a uh, you know an elite interior defensive uh, lineman as well. You know, 97 percentile speed score. The flexibility testing I haven't really got a chance to see yet uh, because the issue with pro with the uh, pro days this year is that the reporting has just been all over the place. So I've, I've really been kind of having to backtrack and do a whole bunch of stuff. But Williams, to me, is in that top three discussion 
uh, even before the combine, he was pretty much in that that top three uh, to almost number one overall in terms of just his overall production data. And then the athleticism matches that. So he's definitely a good prospect, if you will, to very good prospect. So would you say that his sack numbers are fairly strong, particularly for an interior defensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had 80 percentile in terms of his uh, sack numbers. If you look at him as a 3-4 defensive end, uh, and that's a big thing, is that when it comes to interior defensive linemen, it's really about where you're going to play them. You know, are you going to play them as an interior defensive, uh, as a 3-4 D end, sort of 5-tech spot? Are you going to play them as a 4-3 D tackle? Are you going to play them as a nose tackle? Because when it comes to nose tackles, those guys usually don't need to have the best sack and TFL numbers, but they do need to have really high solo tackle data. When it comes to Williams as a 3-4 D end, he profiles as a, you know, a, a elite guy when it comes to his overall, uh, basically like a Richard Sherman in terms of his production at the 3-4 D end spot. If you plug him in, plug him in as a 4-3 D tackle, he doesn't quite hit all the thresholds there in terms of his sack numbers. And that's just because the, the, the all-pro threshold is just such a high standard. You know, guys that, that made that standard are, are people like Warren Sapp, you know, like uh, basically some of the best, Aaron Donald, you know, guys like that, you know, some of the best sort of interior D-tackle guys we've ever seen. Um, so he doesn't really hit those areas, but he definitely hits the Pro Bowl areas when it comes to being a 4-3 D-tackle and the elite levels when it comes to a 3-4 D-in. So his sack numbers are not terrible. You know, they're pretty much above average to significantly above average. Um, and everything else is great about him as well. So who would you compare him to based on the data? I mean, based on his athleticism data, uh, where I would kind of have to kind of to see if there's any sort of guy, probably Kevin Williams from Oklahoma State, probably a good starting off point there. Tommy Harris from Oklahoma, uh, the other, you know, the other Oklahoma That'd be another sort of comparison. I know a lot of people compared him to Gerald McCoy. Uh, and McCoy, there's nothing wrong with Gerald McCoy uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, stylistically. But Gerald McCoy was not as fast compared to Quinn Williams for his size. I definitely would say Tommy Harris from Oklahoma and Kevin Williams from Oklahoma State. Those would be the two guys who really have similar sort of athleticism traits. Jim, we've gone through the top three players in depth and taken a look at their data. So now I kind of want to go around the horn because there's the possibility that the Jets may trade down. There's also the potential for guys to slip a little bit, that they may get a chance to draft that they didn't think they were going to. It happens every year. So I'm going to go position by position. And then if you could, I want you to tell me who the key players are at those positions, what your data says in an abbreviated form. Maybe give some comps and then also throw in a sleeper or two if you could. And we'll go through that each position. And we'll start with the most important position as far as the Jets are concerned. And that, of course, is edge rusher. We went through Bose and Allen. Let's go through the best of the rest. You talked a little bit about Brian Burns and Montez Sweat. You can start with those guys and then work your way around. But what should Jets fans know about the data of the top edge rushers in the 2019 class? Well, I mean, this edge rusher class is great. Um, it's the type of class where if you don't get a edge rusher in the first round, you have lots of potential to get a really great one in day two um, just because of where they played it at school. But 
with just the first round in particular, you know, Josh Allen, of course, like I said before, is the most productive out of the class, has Pro Bowl athleticism traits. Brian Burns, really productive with Pro Bowl athleticism traits. Montez Sweat, not as productive as the rest, but had definitely the best sort of overall athleticism compared to everybody in the class. Uh, some guys that are in day two that I think definitely need to be brought up more, Ben uh, Bonagu from TCU. He's someone that when I looked at his overall data, you know, his production data and his athleticism traits, he basically profiles as like Cameron Wake 2.0. There's, there's some potential there. In terms of just his overall athleticism traits and his and his production traits, so he's and he's a guy that honestly will probably be available day two, um, just because he played at TCU and he's he definitely isn't undersized uh, per se, but you know two fifty is a lot of the teams want you to be two sixty to seventy five, but um, there's a lot of potential with a guy like that. Uh, Max Crosby at Eastern Michigan is essentially like Nick Bosa, athleticism wise, but better and actually was productive for multiple seasons at Eastern Michigan. Um, obviously, getting him day two is more so because he played at Eastern Michigan, and there is some potential that he might not be as good as he, as he looks because of that, but he still, athleticism-wise, has NFL athleticism traits and has the sort of production to match in terms of his overall profile. A guy like Rashawn Gary, who I'm not as high on as everybody else, does at least have some outlier potential just because of how athletic he is, because, you know, he was pretty much 90 percentile in, in most, of the, most of the categories in terms of his explosion, speed, and flexibility. He's a little too risky for first round, but he's definitely someone that just athleticism-wise is definitely worth that sort of spot. John Kaminsky from Charleston is sort of a great athlete, smaller school guy, someone you can get day three most likely day three or UDFA, and he's someone that definitely can, can uh, contribute a lot in the overall scheme of things. Um, but, I mean, in terms of just edge rushers in this class, and I guess the last guy I mentioned also is like Charles Aminahue from Texas. He's someone that looks like a Patriot-type edge rusher, though. You know, someone that will probably get drafted on day two or day three and uh, has a good chance to be a really solid overall edge rusher you know, when it comes to his career. So there's just a lot of really good edgers in this class. Uh, all of them have really great athleticism traits. All of them were productive. There's some guys in there that are concerning, like Nick Bosa, like Rashawn Gary. But for the most part, if you miss out on one in day one, you have ample opportunity to get one in day two um, if you play your cards right. So would you say that the best of the rest after Allen and Bo Solo, in your case, you think Bosa's not quite at the top, but after Bosa and Allen, the guys that you should really be circling in on as far as top options if the Jets trade down from number three would be Burns and Montez Sweat? Yeah, Burns, Montez Sweat. Uh, I mean, Ben Bonigu, I don't really see day one. But he could sneak in. So if he does get day one, at least give me some credit. <laughs> but I really don't <laughs> think so. But day two is more likely for him. But, yeah, I mean, Sweat and Burns would probably be the guy. If you were to trade down, those would be the guys I would be really hoping to get um, in that in that day one part. And the only reason I haven't mentioned guys like Cle uh, Cleveland Farrell from Clemson or any of those other guys is just that Farrell hasn't really done any athleticism testing. And because of that, it's really hard to project him at this point um, when you just have production to go off of. Um, so, 
but yeah, but for the most part, those would be the two. Sweat and Burns would be the two guys that I would be eyeing if you traded down out of the you know the top five to top ten. And who would you list as comps for those two? I know you had mentioned a pretty big-time comp for Burns, but are there others, and who do you like for Sweat as far as a comp? Um, Sweat as a comp, I would, I mean, athleticism-wise, and I know Josh Sweat hasn't really done a lot, but he's like the most identical in terms of just athleticism. But, I mean, Montez Sweat is just a crazy athlete, so... It's it's kind of like finding, trying to find a comparison for Calvin Johnson, right? Like you're you're never really going to get very close because he's the best, almost near the you know I mean, he is the best in his position. But uh, or like Julio Jones, for example, it's really hard to find a comparison with Julio Jones just because of how athletic he is. So you're never going to find a, a replica of him because he's just one of them, and that's kind of similar to Sweat, you know, just great all around athleticism, um, but. Production-wise, I mean, there definitely is some some chances of him becoming, you know, at least a Pro Bowl level edge rusher based on his overall production. Um, there are some concerns. I mean, he does have some concerning production. I will say, just because he doesn't have one elite production area. So, like he he didn't really have elite solo tackle production. He didn't have really have elite sack or TFL. But he's just someone who had good all around production and has great athleticism traits. Um, for a size. And of course with Burns, like I said, I mean, DeMarcus Ware is definitely a guy that, that shows up with him. Um, and uh, Randy Gregory shows up. But again, I think that the thing about Randy Gregory, my biggest pet peeve with him when he came in the draft was that he was someone who came into the combine was 235 pounds. And people were talking in, they were basically talking themselves into drafting a guy like that day one to be a linebacker or something, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, basically, Randy Gregory was 10 pounds away from being 10 pounds away when he went to the combat. <laughs> that isn't the case of Brian Burns. You know, he's he at least proved he can put on the weight for the combine. Um, it doesn't really have any off-the-field issues. I know Jeff Lloyd, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Lloyd. He, he really is in tune with a lot of stuff that happens at Florida State and Tallahassee. And, um, he hasn't really said anything specifically to me. You know, I basically asked him a couple of times, hey, you know, have you heard anything on the street? about Brian Burns, you know, has he been getting into trouble or whatever? Uh, he said, no, he's fairly clean on, you know, off the field, no big issues, no drama, if you will. So, um, yeah. I love Jeff, and now I'm trying to think of him looking for dirt on the actual street like a detective. It'd be kind of funny to see him out there trying to drum up dirt on prospects. But, Jim, that's going to wrap up part one of our discussion. We'll be back with part two tomorrow to get into all the rest of the positions as we get ready for the 2019 NFL Draft. Don't forget to follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Metrics. Check out his YouTube channel, Common Man Football. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.